we will follow you, Jesus. Yes, we will make disciples. Yes, we will love on your people. Yes, we will, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, we will. I love that. I love that we're starting off declaring that we will be a Christ-following nation for Jesus. What's up? (laughs) I'm all revved up now. What's up? My name is Alan. I'm one of your pastors here at Whitewater. And can we all just welcome anyone who's new here in the building or online? Thank you so much for hanging out with us. You could have chosen any other place, but you chose to be here with us. So thank you. Come say hi after service. I love it. One thing you know about me is uh, I really genuinely love getting to know people. And and one of, if not my most favorite thing about being a Christ follower is getting to know Jesus. Can anyone else agree? Getting to know Jesus is pretty cool. How many know when you get into a relationship with someone, understanding them is a pretty important part of getting close to them? So today, I want us to get to know Jesus as a fully normal dude with feelings and emotions and as God who has power and authority over all things here on earth, including death. We're going to look at this, his last earthly miracle that Jesus performed uh, before he gives his life for us on the cross. Before we get into that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. Yes, we will, Heavenly Father. We will follow you until the ends of the earth. Lord, I ask that you speak through me. Holy Spirit, speak through me. This is your message we're hearing. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's grab our Bibles and Bible apps and turn to John 11, verse 1. We're going to start right there. Um, Anyone want to read? Okay, that's a no. Uh, Great. So I I will do that, Jesus. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Can we have a show of hands who's heard of this Lazarus story before? You've all heard it before, right? So if you haven't, uh, I'm going to tell you the ending. Here we go. He died. Jesus he alive. We'll see y'all next week. Uh, I think that's, if only, <laughs> if only were that easy. Um, see, the first part is key because John, the author of this book, sets up this tight-knit family that Jesus loved, this trio of siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, all super close friends with Jesus. Uh, he would stay at their house whenever he was in town. Martha would cook him brisket and mac and cheese. Ma- Mary would listen to his stories and laugh at his dad jokes. Jesus and Lazarus, besties compadres, homies, homeboys, whatever you want to call your best friend. But I want us to pay attention to what John says about Mary in verse 2. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Now look, this detail is supposed to be in chapter 12, but we're in chapter 11. Mary is worshiping Jesus in chapter 12, but she just sent a message to Jesus about a sick loved one right here in chapter 11. Hmm. So you mean to tell me that the chapter of life I'm in right now isn't the chapter I'll stay in forever? so, so, So you mean to tell me that as long as I'm friends with Jesus, that the season of turbulence I'm in right now will be a testimony of God's goodness later on? So, so you're saying that the pain of divorce won't last forever? That the depression is only temporary. That I, can, that I can get over my addiction to work someday? So fam, 
God is a good father and he's a good author. So he's already got the ending of this season written out. And since you'll be praising him for the victory later, you might as well praise him for it now. Can we give God three seconds of praise for the victory in the next chapter? In the next chapter. But in this chapter, it says in verse 4, When Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. First off, I think it's so beautiful that Jesus doesn't just love the family as a whole, but he loves them as individuals. Martha, Mary, Lazarus, all have an individual relationship with Jesus. And that's, that's why I'm so messed up about this, okay? Are you telling me that Jesus left his high camp volunteers on red? Y'all know what red means? That means you read the text and ignored it. He left them on red. He sleeps on their couch. He raids their fridge, and it seems like they have some pretty cool friendships. But now he's ignoring their calls for healing, even though he's been healing random strangers off the street for the past three years. You know what? Let's get real for a second. How many of us feel like we've been put on red by God? It's hard to admit, especially in a church service where people are always saying, we have to have the kind of faith that can move mountains. Or we need to have faith the size of a mustard seed. Yeah, but you still got to put the mustard seed in the dirt where it's dark and lonely. Where are my honest people at? Because if we shared with God our true feelings about it, we'd say that sometimes he's not a promise keeper. He's not a way maker. He's not a chain breaker. In that season, in this moment, or in this particular chapter. I'm trying to talk to all the people in the room who are in a season where they feel like God has let them down. To those of us who feel like God has allowed things to die in our hearts. The prayer wasn't answered. You lost the will to keep going and you barely feel his presence anymore. Asking God, why did you ignore my texts and put me on red? The answer to this question isn't normal, nor is it very comforting. Let's reread the text. So, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stared right where he was for the next two days. The answer is love. I don't know who this is for, fam, but we may never understand God's plans, but I promise you they will always have a purpose. The waiting is not wasted. The waiting is not wasted. The waiting makes you strong and courageous. The waiting gives you strength by relying on his power. The waiting makes you yearn for him. The waiting makes the victory that much sweeter. Have you all ever eaten something after not eating for a while? Doesn't this taste different? Mmm, that hunger sauce on this plain unsalted cracker is giving it an extra boost of flavor. In fact, I appreciate the person who gave me this cracker, and because I don't want other people to go hungry like I did, I'm going to tell everybody who gave this to me, and his name is Jesus. It's a weird analogy, but it works. The waiting allows you to actually experience God's love in a way, in a new way, because the miracles that don't come on your time are the ones you remember the most. Psalms 27:14 says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. So after two days, Jesus says, Martha and Mary have waited long enough. Let's go. In verse 11, Jesus tells his disciples, 
our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples, they're like little kids. They said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was like simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Tell it plainly, Jesus. And for, this, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Jesus said, for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there to heal my boy, Laz, because now you'll really believe that I am who I say I am. Up to this point, Jesus was healing people like he was Oprah giving away cars. The disciples just got used to it. On top of that, there was this really interesting burial superstition back in ancient times. I can't explain it well, so I'm going to let theologian J.B. Lightfoot explain it like this. Grief reaches its height on the third day. For three days, the spirit hovers about the tomb if perchance it might return to the body. But when it sees the fashion of the countenance change, it retires and abandons the body. So, back then, they believed that the spirit could linger around for like three days, and maybe within that time, it, re it would re-enter the body and be revived. So, with that in mind, verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. In short, Jesus deliberately waited until the fourth day after Lazarus' death to prove, without a shadow of a doubt, that he has the ultimate authority over death. The miracles he'd been doing for the past three years weren't just magic tricks, CGI, or anything shady. He wanted to make sure his disciples, the ones who were going to take the, the gospel to the ends of the earth, understood his power. My question for us is, do we? Because I know. I know there are some people sitting in these chairs or watching online who think that their marriage is dead. That their passion for their job is dead. That the business they started a decade ago has died. That their relationship with their son is hopeless. That their relationship with God himself is over. If that's you right now, I want to say this. Me too. This past week I've noticed in my circle of relationships, like coworkers, friends, and random people on Facebook feeds, um, it was a good week to either get pregnant or have a baby. I've seen a few pregnancy announcements, adoptions, we just had Family Sunday, just people welcoming new tiny humans into the world, and it's so beautiful, it's really, really beautiful. But I'm at the age bracket now that if I don't have a kid, people are like, when's it your turn? Come on, when is, it, when is your turn? And it reminds me of all the IVF treatments, the IUI treatments, the hormone shots, injections and surgeries that my ex-wife and I had to go through, only to find out that I was the problem. You know, testicular cancer mixed in with other unhealth, uh, physical unhealth, leads to me literally having something dead inside of me. I can't give kids to anybody, let alone my, my wife, Sarah. And fam, I want you to know that this whole thing came at the right time. Because I'm going to show you what gave me hope. And it's not what you would think. In verse 20, it says, When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Notice how Martha doesn't hold back. 
The moment she even just heard Jesus was in town, she was like, well, where you been? On your donkey for four days? Stop by Bucky's for an ice cream? Where you been? She's angry. She upset. She literally marched up to Jesus and became the embodiment of hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn. And look, don't get it twisted. She has every right to be mad. Because Martha knew Jesus could heal Lazarus. She believed in Jesus' power. And you know, sometimes it's difficult for me to understand when adult Christians stop believing in God because they have unanswered prayers. Because that means at some point before then, they believed he could do it. They had some point of reference that showed the miracle working power of Christ, but because they're not willing to have the posture and the patience, they missed out on God's plan. Martha said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But, but even in my anger, even in my depression, even in my dark thoughts, even in my waiting, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And that's my hope for my own situation. The posture I've chosen to take in my season of waiting, in my season of yearning and wanting to be a father, is I'm going to have my Martha moment with Jesus. I'm able to get up and close with God to let him know that if you just let me, I could be a good dad, God. I could. But even now, let your will be done, not mine. And I'm not saying that I have any more faith than anybody else. I'm just saying that God would rather that you hash it out with him face to face than for you to turn away and ignore him altogether. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 37, those the Father have given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. He won't reject you. My encouragement to everybody here who is feeling desperate and hopeless is have your Martha moment where your relationship with Jesus is close enough where you can march up to him in your prayer closet, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, and you could scream, Lord, if only you'd been there, I wouldn't be feeling this way. But as hurt as I am right now, I still have faith in you. Yell at him. Let him know how disappointed you are. Your disappointment actually shows your faith because you know you know that he has the power. You know he can restore your marriage. You know he can turn your sadness into joy. You know he can rescue you from the situation. You know it, so let him know too. So after she had her moment, Jesus told Martha in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha, thinking that Jesus has just given her like some pastoral, cliche, Christianese answer, responds with, Yes, you're right, Jesus. He will rise and everyone else will rise at the last day. I know, I know. But actually, she didn't know. Because Jesus then responds with, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Do you believe in this, Martha? See, that's something about Jesus that I never thought of. He doesn't just have resurrection power. He is resurrection Look, I just want us to understand how wild that is. In my own personal study, I found three ways that make Jesus being resurrection itself so crazy. Number one, what he means is believing in him is the only way to be resurrected into our new bodies in heaven. 
2 Corinthians 5 verse 1 says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. By accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, death on earth isn't the end anymore. Salvation in heaven becomes the ultimate goal. And if we truly understood that, then the things we live for in this earthly life will hold little weight compared to the life we can anticipate in heaven. If we cared a little bit more about our resurrected life in heaven, we care more about getting others to be there with us in the end. We'd focus more of our efforts in the mission for the lost than the business of the church. We would think more about how to satisfy our heavenly spiritual nature than our fleshly human desires. Our decaying bodies on this earth hold no comparison to the healthy, perfect bodies that God has planned for us in heaven when we get there. Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is our way from death on earth to resurrection in heaven. Number two, when Jesus says he is resurrection, that means resurrection for all things, including things without a physical body. I'm talking about the things inside of you that, that have been asleep, wounded, or on the brink of complete loss. A lot of us have lost our passion for life because of unhealed trauma, trusted relationships gone wrong, or life situations that just knock you down. When was the last time you looked forward to going to work? Yes, praise God, praise God. I'm talking about some of us who aren't that saved. <laughs> when, when was the last time you looked forward to feel, when, when was the last time you feel confident about yourself? Or the last time you felt loved and appreciated? Even though some of us have this deadness sitting inside of us, yeah, we can still have hope. Because in Jeremiah 30, 17, God says, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. Resurrection and restoration go hand in hand. Because when God made this world, he made it to be good, which includes us. And so the dead things inside of you aren't meant to be there. You're meant to live life more abundantly. But because the enemy and his friends sin and death lurk around us all the time, we need inner resurrection constantly. Well, good for us. <laughs> That because when we say yes to Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to live inside of us, and the Holy Spirit was given by Jesus, and Jesus is what? Resurrection. I told my wife I would be doing this, and she didn't understand, but I did. Number three, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Here on earth, when you believe and declare loyalty to him, the old self dies, and a new one is born. So when we examine this idea of Jesus as resurrection itself, he not only has power to bring back to life something that is dead in your heart, in your spirit, and in your situation, he also has the power to bring something new to it, which in itself is also resurrection. Woo! That's my favorite part. Romans 6, 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too... We too may live a new life. Who, yeah, who doesn't, ex who doesn't get excited about that? Because that means whatever situation you're in, no matter how awful you feel, whatever mistakes you've made in the past, no matter how broken the world is around you, it has a purpose. At some point or another, if, if you're in a deep committed relationship with Jesus, that life 
becomes old. And you wake up one morning realizing, I'm a new person. When Jesus becomes your meaning for life, everything that happens to you, through you, and against you is just a step into becoming the kingdom version of yourself God has called you to be. Bless you. Have you all seen the trailer for the new um, live-action Little Mermaid? You all seen it? If you haven't, that's okay. It looks really good. I think it's a millennial thing, though, because every time I hear part of that world, I like have an emotional breakdown somehow. So I rewatched a few of the scenes of it on YouTube. I didn't, watch, I didn't want to watch the whole thing. And throughout the whole movie, Ariel literally goes through these storms. Her desires of wanting to be human leads her to some bad decisions. She loses God's gift to her, her voice. She loses her relationship with her dad. Then she gets her voice back. And then she becomes a mermaid again. And she can't be with Eric. Like, the girl can't catch a break. Until her father, her father, realizing that Ariel had had some personal growth in her journey, uses his power, his authority, and his sovereignty to give her a new life. Yeah. Yeah. This Disney sermon is saying that your heavenly father is the resurrection and the life, and only he is able to put to death the old life of sin, shame, and death, and give you a brand new, fresh life of freedom, grace, and truth. The Lion King is next. Uh, The Lion King is next. So if we go back to our story, Jesus reveals all of that, all of that to Martha. But she still kind of doesn't understand what's about to happen. Jesus asked, do you believe this, Martha? She says, yes, Lord, I've, I've always believed you were the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's coming to the world from God. After this, Jesus has a similar interaction with Martha's sister, Mary, who also said, Lord, if only you'd been there, my brother wouldn't have died. Okay, that's like the second time heard it before. Let me ask y'all, if you were Jesus, how would you feel about them saying that to you over and over? Would you feel honored that Mary called you Lord and, you know, knew you had the power to heal? Or would you be annoyed that she's accusing you of something that she doesn't understand? Parents, when your kids have been asking for the new Xbox and they have no idea you already bought it, but you've just been waiting until their birthday to give it, don't you just do a little, like, you know, open, open nostril, tight-lipped inhale, that kind of thing. You get a little annoyed, right? Because you know you're going to give it to them, but they're just being impatient. I believe Jesus is going through the same thing, and his humanity is being presented right here. Watch this. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up inside of him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. Jesus was deeply angry and deeply troubled. You know what this shows me? Jesus feels deeply. Man, I don't know what kind of Jesus you grew up with, but but no one ever told me about this version of Jesus or God. It's completely different from my Roman Catholic upbringing, and it's completely different from the other gods the ancient Greeks learned about. When Jesus sees her tears, his heart breaks for her. If there's anything in this message to remember, anything at all, please remember this. God sees your tears, he's touched by them, he remembers them, and he takes action to dry them. Thank you, God. When I read this the first time, I was confused at why Jesus would be deeply angry and deeply troubled at people crying over Lazarus. But then this was revealed to me. Check it out from theologian Richard Trench. He says, the phrase is remarkable. 
deliberately summoned up in himself the feelings of indignation at the havoc wrought by the evil one and of tenderness for the mourners. And that might be confusing. So let's add this uh, from Pastor David Guzik. He says, Jesus was angry and troubled at the destruction and power of the great enemy of humanity, death. Jesus is mad at death. He's mad at the fact that we have had to go through something like this that was never meant for us. This world was supposed to be a paradise with no pain, no sickness, no death, yet here we are, and here Jesus is, having to deal with it, not just as a human being when people he loves are personally tied to, but also as God's son, who has had to watch for eons all of God's children go through this pain. I can imagine it all bearing down on Jesus in that moment, which is why he experiences deep anger and deep trouble. He asked them, where have you put him? They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Did you all see that? Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible says so much about Jesus. These two words describe Jesus' humanity, his love for other people, and his compassion. Theologian Adam Clark writes this, Jesus had humanity in its perfection. And humanity unadulterated is generous and sympathetic. I really hope that these two verses show you that when you find yourself on the floor of your bathtub crying, in the corner of your kitchen sobbing, or under the covers of your bed in tears, that Jesus sees you. He sees you. He weeps for the people he loves. And last time I checked, Jesus loved you and I enough not just to cry with us, but to die for us on the cross. Jesus' compassion is all over the Bible. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'm going to give you rest. Luke seven thirteen. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Isaiah sixty three nine. In all their suffering, he also suffered, and he personally rescued them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all the years. My point is, is that if you have a God who feels deeply for his children, then you have a God who wants a relationship with them. I know. I know in seasons when we're waiting for God to do something, we tend to think that he's not present or that he's not around, and it couldn't be farther from the truth. You see, the thing about being all-powerful like God is that he can know the plan you have for somebody, comfort them in their pain, and help them grow in it all at the same time. God is not gone from you. My desire for you always is that you can understand how personal your tears are for Jesus. So offer them. Offer them up to him because he sees you. In verse 38 of our passage, Jesus, he was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told him. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you just believed? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes and his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Yo, I, 
I might be weird for this, but I think it's hilarious that it's a, a pretty serious moment. You know, everyone's crying and weeping. Jesus just gave a command, but Martha is just like, smelly. But even though, look, I'm laughing about it, uh, but John the author is re-emphasizing that Jesus is past the, uh, Lazarus is past the point of no return. His body has already decayed. It wouldn't be like the time that Jesus resurrected Jairus' daughter or the widow's son, which were the only other two people, according to scripture, that he raised from the dead. But in those cases, the bodies weren't hanging out in the tomb for four days. Raising Lazarus from the dead would be insane. So much so that Jesus had to say, look, if y'all don't believe me after this, then I don't know what to tell you. You see, this moment wasn't just some sort of magical incantation or a pre-made prayer for resurrecting people. It was just Jesus talking to his father. And he cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Jesus spoke this command out loud for the people to hear so that they could believe that he has the ultimate authority over everything, including death. Fam, I'm really big into superheroes and uh, big blockbuster movies where they show people with powers like this. But I had to realize for myself that Jesus isn't like any of these superheroes we see on TV or the movies. Jesus doesn't have abilities. He has authority. He can move mountains. He can make giants fall. He can make walls crumble. Demons tremble at the sound of his name because when Jesus speaks, you listen. And can I tell you something wacky? Actually, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let the Bible tell you, okay? Luke 10, 19. Look, I have given you authority over all the powers of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. Matthew 10, 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. This story of Jesus, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus show us the complete glory of God through Jesus' compassion, empathy, and humanity, but it also shows us that how dang powerful Jesus really is. I'm going to try something right now that maybe some of us have never done. I want, I want us to use this authority given to us by Jesus through the Holy Spirit um, to resurrect some dead things that may be sitting inside of us right now. Uh, but don't get it twisted if we do this. This ain't mystical. This isn't manifesting. This isn't anything but us believing that Jesus doesn't just have resurrection power. He is resurrection. So if we could all stand. Let's all stand, everybody. Let's all stand. So I want us to call out the same way our Lord did. He said, Lazarus, come out. Everybody yell, come out. So some of us want God to bring joy and peace back. So if I say joy and peace, you say when I say confidence, you say trust in others, peace at work, relationship with my kids, love for my neighbors, forgiveness, and passion for God. Heavenly Father, we bring all of these to your feet. Resurrect these things in us and make us brand new. Jesus, we thank you for your compassion for us. Thank you for seeing our tears and thank you for letting us see yours. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen.